Hello and welcome back to Reason for Hope. I hope you're having a great day. And we have an amazing podcast for you today. And thanks for tuning in. And for those of you that are new to us, welcome. If you are new, please subscribe to this podcast if you haven't done so. Uh, This will give us a good rating and really helps to get the word out. Also, join us on social media where we can keep you engaged through music, videos, daily reflections, and all kinds of fun Catholic stuff. All the music on this podcast is original and created by the Array of Hope team. So please subscribe to us on Spotify and all the other music platforms. When I founded Array of Hope over 10 years ago, I answered a calling. At that time in my life, I was searching for meaning and purpose, and I was drawn in to better understand who God is. What happened to me is that I opened up my heart. I accepted the fact that there was more to life out there than I really understood it to be. There was more to life than just going through the motions because the day-to-day routine just wasn't fulfilling. And what I discovered was that when I pushed myself into an unknown path, a new direction to seek the truth in life, I discovered who I was made for and what I was made for. And I am made to be in union with God and to utilize my gifts and to serve others. It's really that simple. It isn't easy and we're all fearful of change. But we need to trust. Living at our faith and aligning ourselves to God's will brings us the ultimate joy. So I was called to use my gifts. We all have gifts that are given to us and we're all called to use them. And we're gonna talk about that today. What an exciting episode we have for you today. Sherry Waddell is with us and what a wonderful evangelist she is. We're gonna share with you how we are all called and gifted. Okay, so welcome to Reason for Hope. And here we go. Here we go. So here we are back for another episode, and today we're going to discuss how we are called and gifted by God, that God has a plan for our lives, a mission for us, and that He gives us everything we need for that mission. But there are a lot of different levels here, so we're going to unpack a little bit here with David Heideck, our Director of Theology, really to dive a little bit deeper about how we're called by God. So Dave, how do we start? Well, I think a really good place to start is to keep in mind that God chose us to exist. I mean, he picked us personally and specifically to exist. We're not some accident of biology or evolution. He created us as he did every human being in his image and likeness. So what does it mean to be created in God's image and likeness? Well, it can be many things, but for our purposes, I'd like to focus on this, that we're made in the image and the likeness of the God who is love for love. We're created for love. We're created to love as God loves. And that means that we're created to give the gift of ourselves. You know, in the uh, Theology of the Body, St. John Paul II states that gift is the existential content inscribed in the image of God. Being made in the image of God means that we're created to empty ourselves, to give ourselves like Jesus does. In fact, a key passage from a document from Vatican II, Gaudium et Spes, 
which was one of uh, John Paul II's favorite uh, documents, is this. Christ, the final Adam, by the revelation of the mystery of the Father and his love, fully reveals man to man himself and makes his supreme calling clear. He who is the image of the invisible God is himself the perfect man. So Jesus, who is the, capital T-H-E, image of God, makes clear who we are as the images of God. In him, we see what living a fully human life looks like. We see what we're made for, you know, and, uh, and I think that when we think about being called and gifted, we first need to think about this overarching supreme calling to love as Jesus loves, that this is what being the image of God in the world means, to give ourselves as a gift for the life of the world and so that all may come to know the saving love of Jesus. Hmm. So you can say that this is kind of like a general calling, right? To love as God loves. But God creates each and every one of us unique and in a particular time and place, right? So how does that all fit in? Well, true. And I would say that while we're all called to love and we're made for love, we're made to give ourselves so that others might live, to give ourselves for their good— since we all have our own unique gifts and since we're made, you know, uniquely by God and we're unrepeatable, uh, the ways in which we're going to do that are unique to us. So it's not the good for others that changes because good doesn't change. God, who is goodness itself, doesn't change. And so what is good doesn't change. But, but how we accomplish that is somewhat specific to each of us. So uh, look at it like this. We're made to give ourselves as a gift, but each one of us is unique. So that gift will be unique, right? Uh, The good we are giving ourselves for isn't really the unique part. It's the gift we're giving that's unique. Um, Although, you know, you could say that uh, the particular facet of the good that we're called to serve may be unique in some way. What do you mean by that? Well, I use myself like as an example. You know, like I'm called to be a husband to my wife, Shannon, mm-hmm. and a father to my football team of children. Okay. <laughs> right? You know, okay. so uh, that means that I'm less available to serve the people of God as a missionary, mm-hmm. for example, or, or I can't serve a parish as a priest. You know, so I have my specific people who I'm responsible for, mm-hmm. right? And so, and so in that sense, that's unique. Um, then I'm a teacher and a campus minister, but in a particular school to the particular kids who attend there, right? So that, that in itself is unique. Um, even the fact that, that I experience a call to be a teacher and, and I feel like I have natural talents and abilities that lend myself to that, um, to teach about God's plan for life and love or the universal call to holiness well, that in of itself is somewhat unique to me. I mean, those are, those are topics that I have found so meaningful in my life and I have a passion to share. Somebody else might have some other topic that they're passionate about. Uh, and then some may not be called to teach at all. I think you see what I mean. Like everybody, yeah. the, the, the work or the good that we're yeah. called to might be specific to us in some way too. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so what scripture verses do you think are key here? Okay. Um, well, I'd like to start with one of my favorites. This is from the beginning of the prophet Jeremiah. It's Jeremiah 1, verse 5. And this is what God says to Jeremiah. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Mm. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet 
to the nations. I love that one. Yes, yeah, fantastic. So like before you, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. God was thinking of us before he formed us in the womb. That's powerful. And when he was forming us in the womb, he didn't form us for any old reason. Like you weren't going to ask God, why did you make me? And he's going to go, I don't know. You know, like it's a, that's not how it's going to be. Jeremiah, he created in the womb and he had prophet in mind. You see, from the womb, Jeremiah was called to be a prophet. Well, on some level, I think you could say that when God thinks about creating us, he thinks about creating us with some mission, with some plan, right? And he creates us for that purpose. So, so just like for Jeremiah, it was to be a prophet. For each and every one of us, there's a mission, mm-hmm. right? And that's given to us, you know, in a sense, before our creation, you know, when, when God's thinking of us. So, I mean, that's one, I think, powerful scripture verse that speaks to this idea. So, Matthew's gospel in chapter 25, you've probably heard the parable of the talents, which uh, tells about a master who is going to be going away, and he entrusts three of his servants with talents, which are a kind of money in the time of Jesus. And to one, he gives five talents, and to another, he gives two, and to another, he gives one. And uh, the one who got five talents invests it, and when the master comes back, he gives him the five plus five. So he gets ten. And then um, then the second uh, servant comes and says, you know, master, I got you two more as well. I invested it, and I took your two, and now here's four. And the master's very pleased with these two servants. But then uh, there's the servant who got the one, and he decides to bury his talent, to hide his talent. And the master gets very upset with him and treats him very harshly for, for this, for doing this. And I think that while a talent is a kind of money, you, you could almost do a little play on that and say, we have been given a lot of talents. We've been given a lot of gifts, a lot of things that God is calling us to share. Right. And that by sharing it, by taking the risk of giving it, you actually are investing and it comes back with more. Yeah. Um, but the guy who hid his talent, that was the guy that, that the master rebuked because, check it out, he wasn't willing to take the risk to share it with the world, right, to invest it. And so, yeah, so on some level, we need to be courageous. We got to be willing to take the risk because it's a risk to throw yourself out there, to give yourself to others, to give your your gifts, your talents, yourself for the yeah. world. Yeah. Um, but that's what God's calling us to do. Another one is First um, Corinthians chapter 12. There's a, a reading about the, the varieties of gifts. And it says this, Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of working, but it is the same God who inspires them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and it goes on and on. And then what it concludes with is this, all these are inspired by one and the same Spirit who apportions them to each one individually as he wills. So I want to draw a little bit of a distinction here between our natural talents and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And even there, I would like to 
distinguish between the gifts of the Holy Spirit that we receive in confirmation, which are abiding gifts, and the charisms or spiritual gifts that are special gifts given by the Holy Spirit to each one of us as we need them for the task God gives us. And so in 1 Corinthians there, that's what you're hearing about. You're hearing about those spiritual gifts that God gives us to give us the power to really be what God's calling us to be in a particular time and place, to to fulfill the mission that he's given to us for our lives. And so not only do we have the natural talents that God's given us, not only do we have the gifts of the Holy Spirit that abide with us, but God gives us these special spiritual gifts, these charisms of the Spirit to help us to accomplish his plan for us. Yeah. And this is great stuff. I mean, I know from my in my own life, you don't sometimes you don't really discover the purpose or uh, you know, uh, the plan that God has for you. And and I was blessed enough to recognize that. But there are many people that don't see it or are or, or not obedient to recognizing that. And uh, you know, there's a fear element to it as well, you know. Um so what what you know, what how can you suggest or what would you suggest to someone to see or recognize God's will, their plan for their lives? Yeah, great. I I think that there's three things that, that we can do. The the first is we need to be honest with ourselves about what we're good at. Everybody's good at stuff, right? right? So, I mean, that people think, oh, I'm not good good at anything. Well, yes, you are. You might not be like, you know, great at music like Mario is, but, <laughs> but you might be a great listener. Mm-hmm. You could have a very compassionate heart. You got to dig deeper away from just like the, the, the spotlight things we tend to think of. I'm great. I'm great at academics or, you know, or at sports or at music or, you know, the, the, the obvious things. Dig into your personality. Dig into your, your character. See how gifted you are. So make, really look at what you're good at. God made you like that because he's calling you to use those gifts, right? So that's first. Second, I would say, um, what gets you out of bed in the morning? What are you passionate about? You know, what, what like ignites your fire? Because God gave you those passions too. Like for me, it's a passion for theology. I mean, like, right. it's like I had that passion when I was in high school. It's weird, right? What, like, what high schoolers like reading theology <laughs> for fun, yeah. right? It's weird. And I admit it, like, it's, yeah. it's weird. But like, but I have a passion for it and, and I get excited about it, you know? And, and that I think was a way that I discovered, you know, this is something that, that God wants me to do. That's right. You know, um, so what are you passionate about? And then the last thing I would say is that, you know, you might be great at a lot of stuff. You might be passionate about a lot of stuff. But the time in which you live may call you to do something that you don't think you're particularly good at and you don't really want to do. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So, you know, the fact of the matter is God created you in a particular place, in a particular time in history. And so look at the world around you. Right. What, what is needed? You know, where, how is God calling you to meet the need of the time and place in which you live? Mm-hmm. And you might find that that's the plan God's calling you to, and it might surprise you and it might scare you because you're thinking, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Right. Uh, but that's where you have to trust in God. So, and, and in all of this, I think you should bring to God in prayer. It's yeah. a discernment process. But if you kind of do go through those steps, 
I think that you're going to have a, a direction at least that, that God's going to be pointing you in that you're going to see just open up to you. Yeah. And, and you know, and, and sometimes we, we have difficulty recognizing where the Holy Spirit is moving us uh, because we're afraid or we feel that we don't have a talent, but God wouldn't have created us without any talent, without any purpose, right? So he, he created us for joy and to experience that joy. And, and often when we seek and in, are in union with God's purpose for us, right, his plan— we have we experienced this joy that was never imaginable right and and th- back to the point that i was making we may not think that our joy is going to come from doing the thing that's the hard thing we don't really want to do that's that right. the that the time demands of us mm-hmm. but that is in fact where we're going to find our yeah, joy because right. if we're in god's will we're going to we're going to discover that joy well you said it it's it's trust we have to trust in the voices that we hear. And then once we hear those voices, we have to be obedient. That's the tough part. And uh, I, I'm speaking from experience. You know, when we are obedient, um, we really can't go wrong with with how the Lord is presenting his will upon us and sharing his plan for us, you know. It's always like we have that joke, and I've said it a million times. You know, you want to make God laugh? Share your plans with him, right? <laughs> and uh, so anyway, uh, this has been awesome. Uh, this is always great sharing uh, these subjects with you, and, and uh, God bless you, Dave. And you too, Mary. My friend, so today I'm going to call my friend Jeffrey Bruno. He is an amazing Catholic photographer. He's photographed popes. Uh, he's photographed canonizations in Italy. Uh, hundreds of Catholic events all around the world. This guy's an amazing, amazing person. Hopefully he answers the phone. Uh, come on, Jeff. Hello. Hey, Jeff. It's Mario. How are Mario, you? Good, buddy. How you doing? Great to hear from you. <laughs> I'm doing. Where are you? It sounds like you're in uh, Australia. Yeah, I'm in my car. I'm on I-95 headed to New Haven, Connecticut. Oh, man. Yeah. Good, good. Listen, I'm calling you because I don't know if you know, but I've uh, I started this podcast uh, earlier this year. And uh, I'm calling you because I want you to be my surprise guest today. Would you Would you talk for me for five minutes about uh, a couple things about the faith on our podcast? Are you open to it? Sure, why not? Just don't crash. No, no, no crashing. <laughs> you're 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 perfect for this podcast because um, today's theme is called and gifted, and and you and I are similar in the sense that we've had many different careers in our life, it seems. We've done a lot of things. And I know that what you're doing now in the latter part of your life is you're really devoted to the church and serving the church. So I wanted to ask you, um, you know, tell me how you felt called and and what is it that you're doing? And I don't want to, you know, ruin the surprise. Share your gifts that you've discovered later in your life and how you're serving the church and why you were obedient to that call. Okay. Well... (laughs) That's a, that's a big question. It's a big question to answer on the highway while you're going 70 miles an hour. Slow down. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, first off, I mean, I wandered through a few different career paths earlier in my life, and it really wasn't until uh, I had an encounter with Christ that, you know, I I guess that I went in this direction. Uh, so let, me, let me unpack that a little bit. So I, I work as a photojournalist, as creative director, as a photographer, and 
that came about, people often ask me, they say, oh, so how long have you been taking pictures? I said, well, since I converted to the Catholic faith. And that's the reality of it, is because when I came into the faith, I was not a photographer. Um, I didn't know that I could take pictures or anything of that nature or that I could write or could do any of it. Uh, but what had happened was that when I had my conversion back around 2004, uh, what, what happened was the first thing I wanted to know, I was in love with Christ, on fire for Christ, and I wanted to learn more about him. So I went to the Internet. And in 2004, the Internet wasn't what it is today, uh, especially the Catholic Internet. It was probably the ugliest, worst websites in the world. Mm -hmm. They came from a media background, and I thought to myself, somebody's got to change this. So I started, uh, I, I, I began uh, doing some web development back then, World Dreamweaver and whatnot. And the first thing, one of the first problems I encountered was there were no pictures of the Catholic Church that I could use. So I bought a camera, and I started taking pictures. And, in, and that's how I really got into photography, is because I, you know, I take, of course, it's for Christ. You want to do and use all the gifts that you've been given you know, to the highest and best of your ability, especially if it's in service to the gospel. Um, so, you know, like there's, a, there's an added, it's not about me building a career for myself or trying to be famous or popular. It's about trying to evangelize, bring Christ to, to everybody, to the world, to be able to present it, you know, and, and to be able to present the church and her mission and all the stories that go untold, you know, to the world visually anyway. Um, and that's, that's how that began. So looking back on it, you know, it, it's like it's really interesting because we speak of gifts. It's like sometimes you don't see the gifts that you have unless you embrace Christ, and then you really can become fully alive to be able to to be able to see the gifts that He gave you, especially if you're giving it to Him. Then He goes on and He feeds those gifts, and He gives you encouragement, consolation, and opportunities, and everything like that. So, I mean, that's the the long story short, I guess. Of, that first question, I think. Yeah, no, no, that that was good. I mean, and you kind of hit the nail on the head is that often, you know, the gifts are revealed to us once we start pursuing his will, right? I mean, it it becomes apparent that you have a, a something that is special in you that maybe you never discovered. And that's sort of what happened to you, right? You, you found a, a need that uh, you needed to fulfill because you had a desire that you wanted to make something better that you were, you know, you were pursuing suing in a way, right? Absolutely. No, that's, that's 100% correct. And I mean, and again, it's fueled by faith. You know, right. It's fueled by that relationship with Christ. That's like the Amen. underlying or the underpinning of all of it. Um, you know, so yeah, that desire to do that. Yeah, and I mean, passion, it's like, you know, it's one of those things where if you're passionate about your faith, you'll do things that, you know, you'll, you'll find the courage, you know, by God's grace to be able to do things that you might not have had the courage to do, you know, in the first place. So, well, you, you know, I mean... Yeah. You actually you mentioned something else like the courage. Sometimes we're we're we have fear that overwhelms us. So um, maybe talk about just for a moment, like you you felt called, but then you know you sort of overcame that that fear and you were obedient to that calling. What was what was that like being obedient to the call? Well, the, the obedience falls, you know, I think comes from love. Right. And it's love of Christ. You know, it's like, and that love is like, you know, he is, he is everything to me. And it's like, basically, it's it's not hard to, I mean, okay, the sinful side of us, you know, the part we struggle with, of course, that's hard for us to, you know, to, to manage, of course, because you know, we are all still, you know, earthen vessels, as they say. And But on the other side of it, though, is that the obedience is easy in the sense of following his will. I don't want to sugarcoat that. You know, it can be challenging at times, very challenging. But at the same time, it's not an obedience out of 
you know, somebody telling me, oh, you're going to go to hell, you're going to, it's an obedience that, that, that arises from love. Right. So I, I think that's the best way I could put it. Yes, and, and you know, you're right. You want to be obedient to him because you love him so much and, and you just don't want to disappoint him. So um, that's awesome. That's awesome, Jeff. Well, listen, uh, thank you so much, uh, you know, for hanging with us. And I'll catch up with you a little later. And, uh, you know, peace to you and your family. And uh, be careful driving up to Connecticut, okay? Mario, thank you very much. Great speaking with you. And God bless you guys. I'll talk to you soon. All right, peace. So today we have Sherry Waddell. She's a wonderful woman and she created the first charism discernment process specifically designed for Catholics in 1993. In 1997, she co-founded the St. Catherine of Siena Institute, an affiliated international ministry of the Western Dominican province. And she currently serves as co-director. Sherry has developed numerous unique formation resources that are used around the world. She helps lead an international team who works directly with over 100,000 lay, religious, and ordained Catholics in 137 dioceses on five continents. Let's welcome Sherry Waddell. So Sherry Waddell, how are you today? I'm doing good. It's a beautiful day here in high in the Colorado Rockies. Wonderful. So before we get into, I guess, uh, as we call it, the meat of the matter of an interview, I want to just get a little background on yourself, Sherry. Tell me a little bit about, were you raised Catholic? Are you uh, cradle Catholic? Uh, you're, did you go to Catholic well, school? I'm a convert. You're a convert. I'm a wow. Convert okay, great. From anti, anti-Catholic, far right hand of the spectrum, fundamentalism so far out, you can hardly see it. Wow. I was raised in southern Mississippi. Yes, wow. under I can't even explain what <laughs> my family was involved in because there's no Catholic equivalent. But just imagine the far right-hand side of the spectrum and then go out several light years from there. And that's where we were. Light so, years. Wow. Yeah. So you must have tra- you traveled fast in your lifetime. It was a long trip. <laughs> it, was a, it was a most unexpected long trip, yeah. Well, let's let's talk about that trip. So there was a, a transformative experience or a conversion of sorts. So, uh, tell me a little bit about that conversion and, and how you... Well, I was already a disciple. I had a, a significant childhood conversion, which is very typical. And then I had a second conversion, what I thought of as my adult conversion, as an undergrad. At, at the University of Washington, and basically the turning point was I—I um, I had gone through this conversion. I was looking for a place to pray during the school year, during the day, and Protestant churches were closed. But there was this Gothic Catholic church a few blocks away that was open, though I didn't know why. And uh, I crossed the threshold, and I felt a presence of God there that I had not felt in other places. And that is why you and I are talking today. So really the Holy Spirit kind of just really whacked you in the back of the head, as uh, yep. I'm, I'm accustomed to as an Italian. So, um, so you know, Jesus yeah. said in Scripture, you know, go make disciples of all nations, right? And you wrote this book, Forming Intentional Disciples. And it really yeah. has become a staple resource for parishes and dioceses to engage in the new evangelization, really to strengthen parish communities. And I got to tell you, uh, probably about maybe six years ago, I had my entire organization here at Array of Hope read it because I felt that um, 
it made total sense that, you know, if we want to evangelize, we can't just like make them feel good in the moment. We have to create disciples. Mm -hmm. So maybe you can talk about how you started it and what inspired you to write it. It seemed like you were into the discipleship already. Maybe you can elaborate. Sure. Well, the short form is um, I had already been involved in helping people, helping Catholics discern their charisms. And in the course of that work, one of the things we did was we just sit down and listen to people's stories of being used by God one-on-one, you know, just, and they can tell us whatever their journey's been like. And it was in that process of listening and, you know, this was tens of thousands of people we've worked with. Gosh, I must've been doing it for 10 years before it dawned on me that people were having problems discerning because they didn't have a relationship with God. Mm. And so uh, at one point in one particular instance, a woman was struggling and I just asked her a question I'd never asked anyone before. I said, you know, it would just really help me to know where to look for evidence of gifts in your life. If you could just briefly describe to me your relationship with God to this point. Now, what I was listening for was some kind of spiritual awakening or turning point, you know, like a conversion, because typically these gifts manifest after that point in their life. And she just turned to me, she says, well, I don't have a relationship with God. Now, this was a woman leading a huge diocesan ministry. Um, and I thought, oh, that can't be. I must have asked the wrong question. I, I kept thinking, I, I must have slipped into speaking Protestant, right? Um, because we speak different languages. And I, I, I speak both now, but um, I thought I must have just used the wrong language. I'm not even, I know it's got to be there. She would not be doing this. If she didn't have this motivation. So I spent the rest of the hour coming at it from every angle I could think of. And at the end, I went away and thought, I was the one who wasn't listening because she was telling me the truth in the first place and I just couldn't take it in. Hmm. So after that, we started asking that question every single time we did one of these interviews. And the most stunning thing rolled out of people's mouths. That is what set us out on the journey. I have been wrestling with this for years before I wrote the book. The book came out of the blue because the publisher basically wrote me at 6.30 a.m. and bought my book at 2, you know, <laughs> 2 p.m. that same day. So it was like seven hours. Um, it was it was all the years of grappling with this and trying to talk about it with Catholics and everything that enabled me to write the book, you know, on the spur of the moment. But yeah, that, that whole issue, it's the single biggest issue, honestly. Because um, in the 21st century, in our culture, I mean, the our, the Western culture went through this massive change about 60 years ago. And so it affects everybody now. And it means we process issues of faith very differently than people used to when the cultural has changed so much. Mm-hmm. And for most people, what we're discovering, for many, many Catholics, and we've learned this just because they told us this. I'm not making this up. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with leaders at every level, including bishops and seminary faculty and priests and religious and lay leaders at all level and lifelong Catholics, super active, who told me I didn't know it was possible to have a relationship with God. Mm-hmm. You know, these are some people who are in full-time ministry, who are very, who care about the church intently. They're, they are good Catholics. They're not bad people, okay? They're, they, they care about the church. They're trying to serve the church. But as one guy told me this, who was like in full-time ministry forming clergy, I said, you, you got to help me understand here. Why do you think it was in your case? And he goes, and his family was all practicing and they were very serious. 
He said, but we never talked about this possibility until I read your book last month. I literally didn't know it was possible. But that's the book, For Me Intentional Disciples, that awesome. kind of help, kind of outlines the journey that a lot of 21st century people yeah, make. That's awesome. Our topic today on the podcast is actually Cold and Gifted. And it's actually a title of a program that you offer at the Siena Institute, right? Right. And that's the called and gifted is the gift discernment process. And that actually preceded the work in evangelization. But that's basically something I've been doing for gosh, 25 years now, since very early on as a Catholic, helping uh, Catholics discern the ways they've been empowered by God for the sake of others. The charisms, that's the term that the church uses. And it just, it means a very specific kind of gift. Uh, Thomas Aquinas calls them gratuitous gifts meaning they're ways, they're not necessary for our salvation, but they are ways we are supernaturally empowered by God to be instruments of his mercy and provision and healing and beauty and truth and deliverance for other people. Um, and so we're, these are gifts from God that pass through us in a sense. We're their stewards. They don't belong to us. Mm-hmm. They're God's gifts that we offer to others freely and he does these amazing things. But these gifts are so crucial to the life of the church, to evangelization. The church teaches that every single baptized person is supposed to be discerning their charisms. Even priests are supposed to be facilitating the discernment of the charisms of the laity. You know, And so there's a huge tradition in this area that goes all the way back to the beginning of the church. And what's fascinating is the experience of seeing these gifts manifest. And typically they don't, they manifest in one of two situations. One after the point when you've had a spiritual awakening or a conversion, which is why that's so important. If we suppress conversion, if we unintentionally suppress discipleship, we're also suppressing these gifts and we don't Mm. know it. Okay. Mm. And we're also suppressing vocation. Okay. Because they also come out of the, the extended sort of journey with Jesus, right? That's, that's when these emerge. So, so that's why evangelization is crucial my best guess right now is probably 98% of all the charisms we've been given are not being manifested yet Wow! because we haven't called our people to that sustained encounter with Christ out of which these things manifest. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we've heard over and over again, after somebody goes through a conversion or an awakening or something, some big turning point, and then, you know, all of a sudden whole new priorities, appear to them. They're suddenly drawn to certain things they never even dreamed of before and just seems so natural. It flows right out of their lived relationship with God. And it's the typical story we hear of somebody who's, for whom a charism is emerging. Charisms are clues as to what our vocations are. They're tools, supernatural tools given to us so that we can fulfill God's purpose for us, our, our purpose, you know, and, and our mission. And every baptized person has a vocation. There is no such thing as vocational unemployment for Catholics. So, you know, that's really crucial. And these charisms are a really important uh, part of both discerning personal vocation and living personal vocation. So, and that's regardless of what vocation God may be calling you to. That's awesome. That's great. So um, I want to leave you with one last question. So uh, given the circumstances of what's going on in our culture today and and even in our church, it, it seems that there's um, a lot of confusion. Uh, there's polarizations in our, in our country and division within our families. Um, but it seems like you're doing amazing work and you're tapped into the hope. Maybe you can articulate 
the hope that truly exists that often most of us don't see within the church? Sure. When we actually look at all that God has promised us, the fact that we have the presence of Christ with us constantly and his Holy Spirit and all the graces and inspirations that are available to us, the truth is the church has this immense creativity and powers and fruitfulness available to us that is independent of the culture in which we find ourselves. Okay, it's deeper than, it's more powerful than. You know, the church has lived through vastly greater problems than we're seeing right now. I know this seems impossible, but if you've read a lot of church history, you know, oh no, it gets much grimmer than this. <laughs> and yet, some of the great, one of the great revivals of all time, the great French revival in the early 17th century, in a situation very much like ours, arose out of a desperate situation, religious civil war for 32 years in which millions of people had died. And out of it came generations of extraordinary uh, apostles and saints, uh, priests, religious, lay people, men, women, you know, all kinds of backgrounds. And together there were tens of thousands of them that God raised up in France 50 years after a council, very much like our situation. And they transformed not only France in a way that if you know, transformed it for 150 years, but they also became the catalyst of an enormous missionary impetus. And so it was, it changed the life of the entire church. And now we name our churches after some of these people, mm-hmm. uh, like Francis de Sales and Vincent de Paul and Louise right. de Marillac. And, but, um, but there were many, many of them. And the thing that was so amazing about them is they were disciples together. They supported each other. They were friends with each other. They, they stole from each other. They collaborated. They prayed for each other. They mentored each other. They created together. And they were, they were incredibly creative. They did not attempt to restore the world that they had lost. That was been swept away by war. Hmm. What they did is they said, what does the gospel of Jesus Christ, what does the tradition say right now in our situation? in the early 17th century. And so I like to say, listen, we're in this practically, it's almost identical situation. Mm-hmm. 50 years after our council, right. you know, early part of the century, after decades of conflict and all sorts of things, you know, and they are evidence that if it, it really depends on us. Will we be open together to what God is calling us to? Because that is the fundamental thing, not so much the culture around us, because we can reshape that. The power to, to shape the larger culture, to change it, resides in the number of us who say, here I am, Lord, send me. Beautiful. Well, Sherry, thank you so much for uh, spending this time with us. It's been really informative and enlightening and, and uh, really great fun just sharing it with you. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you, Mario, for giving me the chance. God bless. You too. So thanks for hanging out with us today. So listen, please stay in touch throughout the week on social media where we can keep you engaged through our music, our videos, and our daily reflections. This podcast was only made possible by donors and supporters of Array of Hope. And you can become part of the Array of Hope family by going to our donation page on our website at arrayofhope.net. Our guests next week are going to be Dan and Stephanie Burke. 
you cannot miss this episode. We all have a desire to have intimacy with God, and we're going to share exactly how to do that. I want to thank my co-producer, Dr. David Heideck, and our engineer, Jack Garno, for putting this all together. So thanks for joining us today, and there's always a reason for hope. This is Mario Costabile. Until next time, peace. Peace.